And the next important thing is applying to 50 jobs a day. A lot of people think you should tailor your job search. You should really research the company before you apply, but that's very slow. And if you do that method, you, you can probably apply to about five to seven jobs a day. Hello, hello. I welcome you to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. Reaching Your Goals is a career podcast where you get the insights to go from motion to action, making things happen. I'm your host, Johanna Herbst. I'm a certified executive and career coach and a management consultant with an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. My mission is to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness, and have some fun along the way. This week, we will talk about finding your next job opportunity in as little as five days. My guest for this very intriguing topic is Annie Margarita Young. She is the author of the five-day job search. So in our conversation, we will talk about how to optimize your LinkedIn profile, how to target your resume to the job opportunity you want to get, which questions to ask during the actual job interview, and what role mindset plays along the way. Before we jump in, let me quickly introduce Annie to you. Annie is a two-time author of the five-day job search and 1,100 ways to save money. Annie is an accountant by trade, but most passionate about personal finance. She dodged student loan debt by leaping into the world of minimum wage jobs after high school. She grew a love for frugal living, self-education, and planning for the future during those years. Annie understood that while it wasn't easy to avoid debt, it was possible. She later earned her BA in communications from Thomas Edison State University. Annie lives with her husband in Boston, where she is fully committed to learning the piano. Annie, it's great to see you again. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Joanna. I am so excited to be here today to share insights from my book, The Five-Day Job Search. We first want to get to know you a little bit more on the personal level. So let's start with rapid fire questions. What word comes to mind when you think about the American dream? Opportunity. Is there anything else you want to say about the opportunity? I think people confuse outcomes with opportunity. Everyone thinks that the American dream is about having a house and the white picket fence. But my mom's version of the American dream, and she is a Chinese immigrant here to this country, they came here with only $400, and my mom was a farmer in China who drew water from a well. She also, you know, her way of making money in China was by growing rice. So her coming here to America for opportunity was simply, she wanted to make money on her own terms. And she's done that. She's the breadwinner of our family, and she has supported our family for the last 30 years. She's turned, she has turned $400 into a whole life for herself. Yes, she's still renting, but she's managed to raise me and my daughter. And this is amazing. You just mentioned your mom. How would your family and friends describe you in one word? I would say they would describe me as ambitious. Yeah, I get a sense of that. <laughs> I, I have big dreams. My husband calls me idealist. Wonderful. I love those words. Say, who is one of your role models? Jim Rohn. 
I have listened to this guy. He's not alive anymore, but I listened to his tapes. For the last 10 years, I listened to them over and over and over again. And I like to repeat in my head, attitude is what makes the difference in how your life turns out. And attitude is what we control. What is the most important quality in a leader? The ability to listen. Because a lot of times people think they know what other people need, but if you can really listen and hear for what people care about, especially your own employees and your customers as well, then I think other people are more open and receptive to listen back and follow you on their own terms, not because you're called the leader, but because they genuinely respect you. And what is the best advice you've been given in your personal or in your professional life? I would say it comes from my friend Robert. When I asked him for advice on what's the one thing I can do, he said, organize everything. Organize your calendar, organize your desk, your room, your money, get everything organized. And I took it to heart. I organized everything. And I come across as someone who's got her act together, basically. What is one thing we, people often get wrong about you? I would say we actually get intimidated. I, can be a, I admit I can be a very intense woman. Because, again, I'm idealistic. I have a lot of ambition and vision. And people I work with, sometimes they think I'm too assertive or intimidating at times. But actually, I think I'm just extremely passionate and I just can't hide the fact that, like, I'm really excited. Nice. And the last question for the rapid fire. What is one secret hobby or sports that you do? I don't have a secret Everyone knows I love to play piano. It's a very public thing. I have always been very focused on my career. So for many years, I didn't have a hobby. And finally, when I made a lot of money, I realized I'm so bored. There has to be more to life than this. So I decided to take up piano and I document it on my YouTube channel as I progress through trying to get better at this. And, and I saw that you are aiming for the 10,000 hours to really see if you can hit the professional level. So how many hours are you down now? I would say I'm between around 800 to 900 hours. This week actually is my full two years. Wow. Yes. So impressive. So only 9,000 something more to only go. Only 9,000 something more to go. <laughs> I, I'll be very honest. I spent about... $15,000 on my piano, and I like to divide up how much time I've spent practicing by how much time I've spent on that piano. And by the time I get up to 10,000 hours, I could say it's about $1.50 an hour that I spent on that piano. Wow. Yeah, it wow. motivates me to lower the cost. <laughs> yes, yes. Perfect. So now we already learned bits and pieces about you. We heard like the idealist, the passionate person, the ambitious woman. But I'm so curious to learn more about you now. Like what are the key milestones that led you to where you are today? I would say the first milestone isn't the happiest. And it's something I talk about in my book. It's about how I hit rock bottom. There was a time when I was 19 when I worked as a foot fetish model. I let men touch my feet for money. I know. This, this is so shocking because everyone sees me as this like very professional woman and they would never imagine that I would have done something like that. But there was a time in my life that was exactly my rock bottom. I didn't think there was any other way for me to make money. 
And then one of the guys that was the client, he asked for me to basically become a prostitute for $100 an hour. And wow. at that point in my life, I said, no, I am not going to make money using my body. I'm going to make money with my brains. And I'm determined to create an identity for myself as someone people in society see as smart, brilliant, creative. And that changed the trajectory of my life. I said, I would rather make money working a minimum wage job than to do something like this. That would violate my personal values and make me feel so ashamed of myself. That was the first milestone. I would say the second milestone was when I published my first book, 1001 Ways to Save Money, because then I could call myself an author. I was someone who graduated with a communications degree. No one's ever heard of me. And someone told me that if you write a book, you will become seen as credible. So at 22 years old, I just quickly wrote up this book in three months, 1001 Ways to Save Money. And all of a sudden, people see me as credible. The third thing, the third milestone was when my first YouTube video that I made, it just suddenly went viral. It got about a million views and suddenly everyone had their eyes on me. And I would say that gave me a lot of opportunity after that moment, especially in terms of my career. And then the fourth milestone would be this book, the publishing of the five-day job search, which <laughs> I have been spending so much time trying to promote and market this book. You mentioned before that you are being described as very ambitious. Have you always been like this? I would say yes. I have always had big dreams. Since five years old, I've been telling my parents, mom, dad, one day I'm going to be really rich and famous. And they, they thought this was ludicrous. They said, dreams should just stay dreams. Why are you dreaming so big? And I always believed in myself. Even when nobody believed in me, I always said, if I believe in myself, that is the most important thing. If you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. So I feel like that is really the basis for everything. And I also saw that you are dedicating your book to a high school counselor who was very strict. It's like, girl, you don't go to college. You are going straight towards failure. Yes. Oh my goodness. So when I was 16, I came across these famous bloggers back then in like 2010, 2012, called Zen Habits and The Minimalist. And they were people who earned six figures from their job and they realized they weren't happy. They had the life, they had the house, they had the car, they could travel anywhere, but they were feeling empty inside. And they talked about how they sold all of their belongings so that they wouldn't have all these obligations. They paid off all their debts. And then they just traveled around the world with their backpack. And I thought, wow, this is so interesting. I've never come across something like this. I want to do this. Or, yes. or maybe explore other lives that are not the traditional path. And then I, my guidance counselor called me into meeting and I said, I don't plan on going to college. I'm going to do something interesting like this. She thought it was crazy. Wow. And you said that now you are thankful because that really fueled you to go the extra mile again and again. Did you ever um, tell her in prison now or does she know what happened to you? She doesn't know what happened to me. And in fact, she doesn't even know I wrote this book. My plan was to make this book so huge and sell <laughs> millions of copies of this book so that she'll have heard of it. Maybe she wouldn't have bought it. And then I will personally mail her a copy with a greeting card that says, Thank you for feeling my <laughs> stress. 
But I think there was also like this seriousness why you chose not to go to college. And we had a little conversation about that. It's like the prices in the US to go to college is insane. And you were not very keen on being in debt for like another 10, 20 years coming your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My parents are the kind of people, they never had debt. They said, never borrow money from anyone. <laughs> Here I am, I'm at this crossroads. Why? Why would I take on debt? I've been told my whole life not to take on debt. And when I heard like the average person at that time, today it's 36,000. Even worse. Yeah. But in 2012, 2013, the average student loan debt people were graduating with was 26,000. I thought, oh my goodness, that's a lot of money. Yes. <laughs> Because I, I didn't know what the average wage was for someone coming out, but I do know $8 an hour was the minimum wage. And I calculated how many hours that took. I was like, wow, that's a lot of hours to work if you make minimum wage to just pay that back. And I thought, I, I didn't want to do that. That's scary. I was scared. <laughs> And then you also mentioned before being frugal. Because one question I also scribbled down before, do you own any credit cards? And if so, how many? I do. I used to not have any credit cards and I was adamant about using only cash. But now I do have three credit cards. Three? One, wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, one is for <laughs> me and my husband to spend like as household, yes. one for me personally, and then one for my business. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Each role you have one. I always thought I would stay the same. Something I always told myself when I made minimum wage is as I make more money, I'm going to make sure I'm still frugal. And I've surprised myself. I'm not as frugal as I used to be. And at first I was very ashamed of this. I mean, how much did you spend on your piano? $15,000. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I literally signed a loan. We got in the car and my husband was like, what is wrong with you? You're, you're on YouTube telling people not to take on loans and you got a piano loan. He thought like, you are such a hypocrite. And I've learned my philosophy toward money has changed through the years yes. as I've made more money. We all evolve. And as you say, so now you're making much more money than the $8 an hour, obviously. And you even wrote a book about it. It's like how to find a job in seven days. So tell us a little bit more about how you can make that happen. Well, the title is a misnomer. The five-day job search is something to make people who like instant results interested. It's almost like how to lose 50 pounds in a month. Everyone wants... <laughs> fast results. But if you read the introduction of the book, I talk about how landing a job offer in five days is more about becoming the kind of person it takes to land a five-day job offer. And that's a process that takes five years. So that's Everyone, when the bamboo is coming yes, into this. Bamboo comes into the picture because bamboo, when you grow it, it's growing but you don't see that it's growing. Everything's happening underneath. It's growing deep roots under the soil, but you have to keep watering it for five years while it looks like nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden in five years, it grows several yards a day. And it grows extremely tall. It's the fastest growing plant on earth. So it's almost like we see a 10 year overnight success and we're like, wow, how did they get so lucky? No, they've been working at it for 10 years behind closed doors. You simply discovered them overnight. Yes, I always say it's the one hit wonder that was 10 years in the making. Yes, but I, I do want to share with people some of the advice they can use right away. And I think people these days, they focus so much on the resume, they forget about their LinkedIn. On their LinkedIn profile, they're using this picture they took with their iPhone or a wedding photo. 
And that is not going to do your career any justice. You need to get a professional headshot. I think everyone has the potential to look absolutely gorgeous and stunning in a photo because 80% of the work to look great in a photo is actually before the photo was taken. That means scheduling a same-day hair appointment as the photo shoot. Use a makeup artist. That's the first thing because that leaves a lasting impression. Oh, wow. I used last time a very, very good photographer. But yeah. It's like makeup and hair. I did it. It took me like five, ten minutes. You did it? Uh, no, that didn't even cross my mind. I was like, no, I do it myself. I always do. And the one thing that I'm also noticing with the headshots, especially on LinkedIn, use a picture that is not five years old. The moment you're also applying for more senior positions, you're also supposed to look a little bit more senior. So if you're using a picture where, where you're still 25, it's not the smartest move. Yes. And actually, I think before any major career move, people should take a new headshot. That's when they should update it. Because the headshot isn't for the position you're working in now. It's for the one you want. So true. It's also when you write the story on LinkedIn or your resume, write it for the job you want to have, not the one you currently have, because that you don't need to apply for anymore. Exactly. Opportunities are based on what you want. And you have exactly. to present yourself for that role. Otherwise, people don't perceive you like that. That is also one thing I'm picking up in your book is that purpose and values also plays a central role. Like you need to know what you want, where you want to go. It needs to be something that has meaning to you. And once you know that, you put all your energy into that and then you go after that. Yes, because if people, if people don't know what they want, they're going to be aimless. They're going to start taking career promotions that are actually horizontal in nature rather than vertical. And going back to LinkedIn, so we've learned that we need to have a clear picture. We also need to know what we want. It's like, what is the ambition? Like, what do we have in mind? What else is important when you look at LinkedIn profiles? The headline is important. I think mm. by default, LinkedIn takes your current job title and then uses the word at and then your current company. That's so boring. If you do research... <laughs> to other people's LinkedIn profile. Right now, I'm helping somebody who's trying to get into real estate tax accounting. And I told them, just do research. Look at other people who are in real estate tax accounting on LinkedIn and tell me what stands out about the profile and what you didn't like. And when I was working with him on his profile, I, I asked, well, which headlines did you like out of the ones you saw? He's like, to be honest, all of them are boring. I didn't remember any of them. None of them stood out. None of them impressed me. And I said, exactly. So let's come up yes. with something better. The headline should really sell. First of all, it should quickly tell people what you do and who you help. So we came up for him lowering taxes for real estate investors. That sells mm. a lot more than simply saying real estate tax count. That's boring. But if, you, if I'm a real estate investor and I'm looking at your profile, I'm like, you can help me lower taxes. Maybe you're the guy I need to reach out to. So that's how you get opportunities coming without you having to proactively apply for it. The second thing is the bio. Having a professionally written bio. A lot of people talk about what they do now rather than what they want. And people are just randomly looking on LinkedIn. They're looking for someone to hire. They haven't posted a job listing up yet. They're probably looking at your profile. And if you don't say what you want, they're not going to reach out to you. If you're saying, I'm looking for this kind of opportunity, wait, I'm also offering this kind of opportunity. I think we might be a good match. 
I love that. That is such a basis. Like, what do you actually want? What are also values you're looking for? What is the environment where you can strive? What is your passion? There are so many things that you can use to really share there. So that space is important. It's important real estate. Yes. On top of that, something that I found that is a big mistake is they don't also put their email address as the last sentence of that area where they put their bio. Now, they assume people can find their contact information on LinkedIn, but if you're not a connection, like if you're not an existing connection, people can't find your email address. Good one. The, the contact information is private. Make it easy for people to reach out to you. I mean, you put in all this effort to present yourself. Now I'm like, I want to reach out to you, but wait, where's your email address? I can't yes. find it anywhere. So LinkedIn, we know it's important. You need to have a good profile. What else is important if you want to find a new job quickly? And the next important thing is applying to 50 jobs a day. A lot of people think you should tailor your job search. You should really research the company before you apply, but that's very slow. And if you do that method, you, you can probably apply to about five to seven jobs a day. But what's worked for me in my last three job searches is I literally just sat down and I typed in the title I wanted and I said, okay, apply, 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 apply. <laughs> I just submitted my resume or on LinkedIn, I, I click apply. ZipRecruiter, I also just click apply without having to submit a resume because they just see your profile. And yeah. I, I honestly don't even look at the listing. I literally just went and clicked apply. Uh, but while doing that, I kept track of it in an Excel spreadsheet just to make sure I didn't apply to the same thing twice because that looks like spam. And I think that's the key to success because the wider you cast your net, the more yeses that you're going to get. My friend actually just called me yesterday and said her son-in-law lost his job last month and recommended my book. He read my book. The only piece of advice that he followed from my book was the apply to 50 jobs a day. Now, apparently while he was applying to 50 jobs a day, that first week he said, I'm just such a loser. Nobody wants to hire me. I'm unemployable. But all while just applying to 50 jobs a day. And within a week, he got three interviews. He got three offers. And apparently the offer he went with pay, now pays him double what he used to make. But the thing is like it takes ambition and grit and you need to know what you want. Yes. And you also should have a good resume so that when you send it off to all those companies, they're like, okay, and it looks very interesting. She has a great profile. I would like to get to know her better. So I think that will now take us to the resume. What is really important about this resume? How does it stand out? The resume needs to be tailor-made for the job position. So first of all, when you think about the job you do want to apply for, you think of the title because, for example, this guy I was helping for the real estate tax accounting, real estate tax accounting is not a title. We had to look on LinkedIn for other people in this niche. And then I said, look for the title. Is it an entry level title, senior? I said, now go on Google and search the words real estate tax associate job listings. And what you're going to do is copy and paste literally one by one. 20 yes. job listings into ChatGPT and ask ChatGPT to analyze the job listing. What is this person, this employer looking for in their ideal candidate? And how can my resume be written to speak to that? So he did that for all 20 job listings. He copied and pasted 
the analysis, and then we looked at them and we grouped different themes from it. And I said, okay, this, based on the research we did here, this is how we're going to need to tailor this resume. Uh, so basically, it's like you see what the employers are looking for. And then based on that, you use the keywords. So when, in case the employer is using automatic search tools that all the words are popping up so that you make sure that you get through the first round as a given. Yes, the keywords are literally in the job listings themselves. After you've done 20 yes. of them, you have a very good idea. Oh, they keep asking for this software. Well, if I do know this software, I better make sure I put the name of this software in my resume. Employees say stuff like work-life balanced. Well, the employer might say flexibility, right? You, yes. Instead of saying you want work-life balance, I want flexibility in my schedule. You use their own language and they are like, ah, you get me. You understand what I mean. I think you might be a right fit. You're going to get an interview. And when you go through this process, so I assume you get like five, 10 interviews like following this process, and then you go in the actual interview. And I know that values also play a key role for you. How do you make sure that by applying to a bit, like a broad number of employers, you still find a match that's in line with what is important to you so that you can really blossom there. How do you do that? So first of all, you have to know what your values are. I, I feel like a lot of people don't even know what their values are to begin with. What I have found is I go in there knowing exactly what I want already. I have a pre-written list. They are not going to see that part. <laughs> but I always, before going into an interview, I do a lot of research on the employer. So I cast a wide net, but whoever answers me back, they get those, that research, they get my time. And so I'll research their LinkedIn, their social media, and I start looking for ways to improve their company. I start yeah. looking for potential problems they might have simply because of the industry they're in, or maybe something I read about them in the news. And I come, to, so I already walk into the interview with potential solutions to offer. Hey, maybe we can try this at your company. Almost like I'm consultant, even though I'm a job applicant. And I have found they are so bored. Yes. It's not going to be a good fit. So we might be looking for value fit, but I have found if personality already doesn't mesh, chances are in the job itself, they're not going to be excited to work together with you anyway. Best job is when you're giving a solution, you're proposing something, and then the interviewer is like, oh my God, oh my God. And their eyes just like light up with this excitement. Yes, this is exactly what we need. So that way, when you actually work with them, they're open to your ideas. Then that's, that's also important because when you want to progress in your career, if people aren't open to your ideas, how are you going to have accomplishments? Yes. Yes. And, and the, this example, it's, it's perfect if, say, innovation and creativity are very close to your heart because that is the best way to test it. And also, like the one word that is always coming up is the psychological safety where you feel free to share what you want. So it's like those responses that you get when you come with a new solution, new idea, new feedback, you already get a sense on how would that be on a day-to-day -day job. My main concern was always to avoid a toxic workplace. Because I usually can get along with most people. <laughs> Very easy to work with. So the main question that I always ask is, why did the last person leave? Can you tell mm -hmm. me? Nice one. I love to ask that question. And usually, I think one guy, was, he was telling me, oh, she just quit. Like, he didn't elaborate. Uh, it just wasn't a good fit for her. 
And I didn't take that as a red flag. And so when I worked there, yeah, it wasn't a good fit for me either because he was a micromanager. Now, another employer said, just said, oh, she just moved away. Yes. Oh, that's like a completely reasonable reason to leave. So I think an important thing is to look for those red flags on why someone might have left because you never know what you're walking into. This is very helpful. Is there anything else? When you look at the job search, any other advice that's coming to mind that will help our audience to be more successful in their job search? I think energy is important. I meet people who are so scared of going to interviews that they want to pre-rehearse their answers. They go on Glassdoor looking at what kind of questions that the potential interviewer is going to ask, and then they pre-prepare the answer. It's, it's not going to work because an interview is more like a two-way conversation where you also have the opportunity to ask questions. So it's not just like, yes. ask question, okay, here's my answer. It's not like that kind of performance. So to, to bring this certain energy to the table, But energy is a little tricky because a lot of people can get desperate, especially if they're unemployed or they are currently in a toxic workplace. For whatever reason, people bring this certain like desperate energy. And that's the reason why they don't get hired is because people don't like desperation. We can spot your desperation even when you try to hide it. But for that, I think your approach is really helping because by trying to get as many interviews as possible, one interview is not as important. Mm -hmm. Because if you're only applying to three jobs, like every interview, you, it's just you, one out of three. You place so much yes. pressure. There's a lot of pressure yes. on yourself versus if you're like, okay, I've got 10 lined up. You don't work out. It's okay. I've got options. So you come with this kind of energy that says, It's okay if this doesn't work out. I have options. I don't need to be here. Here's the difference. I don't need to be here. I want to be here. Yes. I, whether I want to work with you is up to me. So that conveys confidence and it's actually extremely attractive. And the one thing you also said before is a two-way street. So when I go into an interview, it's about... Am I a fit for the job? But it's also a question if that employer, those people, are they a match for me? So I have a say in this and I feel exactly that is giving a lot of confidence because I do have control. Do I want to work here? Yes or no? Yes, exactly. And there was actually a reviewer who didn't like something that I said in my book. I said, even if you're unemployed, you can still come with this attitude that I have yes. options. Because you, the truth is you do. And if you come to the table with that kind of attitude, you're more in control and you're more confident about it too. Yes. And you will be in a better position. And I know it's tough, like telling somebody, oh, just be confident. They will be like, oh my goodness, this is so hard. Because just getting to that place, it does take work. It's nothing that's happening overnight. And I feel like that is also one key takeaway from your book that you have to work on yourself consistently and really be pursuing your own goals and knowing what you want to get there. And then you can make it happen in a short time frame. Exactly. I'm looking at the time. What is one last advice you have for people that want to find their next job? Is there anything else we haven't said yet? I think the one thing that people really need to work on that we haven't talked about is mindset. Because mindset and your attitude is what determines your outcome 
And one of the things that I used to do all the time is every morning I would write down my affirmations down on a piece of paper. And just to keep myself accountable, I would write day one at the top. And then the next day, day two, day three. You keep doing this until it's automatic so that you can rewire your brain to have these new thoughts that are more beneficial for you. And I think one of the thoughts that really brought me confidence was in saying just I am and then my full name. So I am Annie Margarita Yang. Because a lot of people in this world, they're going to try to tell you you're wrong. They're going to say, no, this is not true. But the one thing that is always going to be true is I am Annie Margarita Yang. And this has brought me a lot of confidence and power in the way I carry myself and the way I speak, because no one can tell me that I'm not Annie Yang. I love it. I feel so inspired. And I only have very few questions left. And first one, what is coming up next for you? What is coming up next for me is I will be getting on about 500 podcasts. Ah. This is quite a, a year-long podcast tour that I'm doing. Yes. I'll be doing about two to three podcasts per day. It's quite busy for me. <laughs> wow. And then I always like to ask my guests, who else should I have on my show? I think you should have Tippi Felsenstein. She's my life coach. And mm -hmm. she's been with me all these years. And she has been the one who guided me and gave me pieces of advice. So actually, much of the things that I talked about in today's interview, it was all the advice she gave me that I implemented. So I think she'd be great. That's why you have a coach. And for people who feel inspired, I should obviously buy your book. So it's the five-day job search, proven strategies to answering tough questions and getting multiple offers. How else can people stay in touch with you? So they can follow me on YouTube. They can also get on my newsletter. If people are interested, the audiobook is actually free. They can get it on AnnieYangFinancial.com. But the book is more like a Bible. It's, it's more like something you, could, you should buy and read as a reference. You should always come back to it. And doing it via audiobook is not as easy. So I also recommend people to buy the book itself. You can get a signed paperback copy by going on AnnieYangFinancial.com. And for a limited time only, with the coupon code REACH10, you can get a 10% off discount and also free shipping if you live in the United States. Nice. So thank you so much for joining me today. That was super insightful. And I hope that everybody is now ready to find their next job within just a few days. Thank you so much, Johanna. And I think everyone can do it if they set their mind to doing it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you know of somebody who is currently looking for a new job, why not forward the episode to that person? I'm sure that some of the insights we are sharing could be really beneficial for that person as well. And please don't forget to follow, follow us on social at Reaching Your Goals Podcast and at Daily Guide. And if you would like to hear from us in between episodes, why not subscribe to our newsletter at delegate.substack.com. And yes, sometimes there's only one newsletter a month. And with that, we are done for today. We are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next time. Bye.